What's going on, guys, and welcome back to Frontboards and Four Baggers. I'm Eddie with Cornhole Bag Reviews, and we got Corbin is out today, but uh, I'm doing an interview with one of my local buddies. We got uh, ACL Pro now, Blake Karnick from Wisconsin. Blake, how you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. Oh yeah, I know. We gotta we gotta get together soon. He, he just ditched on me for a tournament. <laughs> told me this morning, so it, it wasn't like it was my birthday. He ditched me on or anything, but that's fine. You know, yeah, no, no need to bring it up. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we'll start a little bit. So you were an ACO pro coming out of like just qualified out of last season. You went out to the World Championships and decided to play in the pro qualifier, and then ended up going 8-0 in the pro qualifier and making ACL pro. So you've decided to go the ACL route. Uh, We'll get into that story a little bit, but before we get into that, let's start with a little bit of the backstory. Kind of how did you uh, get into Cornell? Um, So it really started kind of my about my freshman year of high school. That's about like six years ago now. My dad and I were just kind of throwing together in our backyard or we'd throw it like a fundraiser tournament back home and we had pretty good success. So we figured that we'll just keep practicing a little bit. And we kept winning those local tournaments, kept traveling more and more. Then it came into the last year or two where we decided, Hey, we're going to start traveling a bit more. We're going to see how we compete against some of the best in the States of Wisconsin and Minnesota. And this last year we started trying to, I started trying to go pro in the ACO in our first season and I qualified this year. And then, like you said, I went to worlds just kind of for fun and ACL stuff happened. So. So do you think uh, growing, growing in that local area, do you think there was good competition to learn or do you think it was just, you got a lot better when you started going a little further? Oh yeah, for sure. There was good competition back home. Like a lot of people that have been throwing for a long time, they just, kind of they kind of knew the ins and outs of the game itself but when we started traveling a bit more then you obviously start seeing more talent where you go in the that minnesota area or down to that madison milwaukee green bay area there's now, now there's uh, like between the two states there's like six or seven pros so there's a lot of talent in the states of wisconsin and minnesota once i started traveling and discovering it so there was definitely good talent I was playing against from kind of the start that helped me push my game forward a bit. So last year when you decided that you guys were going to try to do the ACO and do regionals and start grinding it a little bit, kind of what, what was the decision that went into like, like what made you want to try to go pro? Like, did you have friends that were already doing ACO and you're like, well, I could do that. Or is it just, how did it, how did that come up? So in my area, I my hometown is kind of in northern Wisconsin, and in that area, the main thing that was there was ACL. There wasn't much available to do for ACL, like regionals, or obviously there was never any opens near that area. So all the best players in our area, like Maggie Geiger, Bob Heil, Wayne Rowell, they were all ACL pros. So I saw them having their success, and I kind of saw them as that next level for me to reach. So it was, I was like – I want to commit a full season to ACO, see what I can do, see how much better I can get. And I had a lot more success than I expected to getting pro in my first year. Yeah, you had a really good year in ACO. And I mean, even just playing with you last winter till now, I mean, like you've gotten tier, everyone around here says you've gotten like unbelievably better than we were last year. Because, you know, last year I never lost you and now I only lose once in a while. <laughs> so like obviously you've yeah. gotten... <laughs> But so you decided to go out to the ACL World Championships uh, and then, you know, you played you played in the the uh, you played in all the events. You played doubles with Lexi, who is now also a pro. You played singles and then you played the pro qualifier. So what made you want to play the pro qualifier? Was it just, hey, I'm out here. I might as well. So, yeah, I just went to Worlds in general just because that was kind of my first. I just want a little bit more exposure to the ACL scene and just kind of I want to experience it, see what it was like and. I was already out there, like you said, doing doubles with Lexi and traveled down with her and her dad. So I was like, I'm already here for the pro qualifier. I just wanted to kind of have fun with it, just see where I was at. And I did. I, w- I played really loose, more loose than I thought I would. And that's why I had success. I went 8-0, ran the gauntlet, and I had made it to my surprise. So when when you say like you felt like, you know, actually pretty calm like what were the mostly the feelings you were playing like early on was it just kind of like oh I don't really care and then did it change as the day went on or did you stay pretty even keel like what were kind of the nerves and feelings throughout the day yeah so when I started the pro qualifier it was it's the last day of world so I mean my mind was just like 
I already got a good foundation with the ACO next season. So, I mean, I obviously don't have anything to lose. I mean, that pro qualifier, the environment in that building in general, that's the most like emotion and stress I've seen from like the entire competition. There's like 800 something people in that. And for a lot of people, that's kind of their golden ticket to get in the pro status and get those sponsorships and whatever. So, but for me, I kind of already had somewhat of a comfortable base with the ACL, like I said. So starting it off, I was just very loose, like just doing it for fun, just experience. And then I got a few, I got two or three wins. And then my first real test in the pro qualifier, I got to play ACL pro Mike Harvey. And I know he's been on multiple broadcasts. I've, I've kind of been a fan of his the last couple of years and to see on the tablet that I get to play Mike Harvey next, my mind was like, Oh, like this is kind of getting real. Like I'm starting to play bigger name pros and we had a really good game. I ended up beating them like 21 16 or something. And that's when it kind of clicked for me. Like this is a actual possibility to get in here. So and what game I was that? I think that was, so there was, I obviously went eight and I think that was probably my third or fourth game. So that was the before the cut. Anyone who doesn't know the gauntlet format was you did four rounds of Swiss where, or uh, where of rounders where do you play people the same record? I assume in the, in yep. the both of them. So you play, so let's say you win your first game, then you play someone who's one and oh, if you win your second game, you play someone that's two and oh, after four games, if you went three and one or four and oh, then you qualified for the second part of the qualifier. And then your score got reset back to zeros again. And then it was, you had to do another four rounds. If you went 4-0, you auto-qualified. If you went 3-1, you made like kind of this final bracket where they cut it from whatever was left down to the final 16 was was the format. So so you played Mike Harvey in the in the first section right away. Yep. Yeah, in that first section, I think, that, I think it was my third game, so we were both 2-0 going into it. So we knew, both of us, if we win that game, we're into the final kind of cut. Right. So... Winning that one and going three and zero really gave me confidence going in that second wave and in that in the second the final round my the biggest name I played I think it was my third game of the second round. Yep, I played I played Rosie Streaker and obviously I've seen her a bunch on TV before. Also, I know she's won. I think she won women's world doubles last year. If I'm not correct, with Sam Finley. Like yep, Sam Finley. Yeah, and that was that was like just kind of the most fun I've had playing because I was like, I'm at ACL Worlds playing Rosie Straker. I've seen her on TV before. And I think I threw, we had a really good game. It was like 21-16. It went like 25 rounds. And I threw like a 10.1 PPR in that game. I was really happy with how I threw. So, And I think I you told my... me too, the key to that game was, because uh, she was throwing BGs and she was kind of trying to play. She doesn't have like the roll bang stuff, but she's totally fine playing the dirty game. And I know like you were telling me throughout that, you know, and me and you play all the time, like, you know, we shoot airmails and cuts and roll and do all the stuff. But I think you told me you only had to shoot like 10 airmails throughout the day and you shot like two rolls or something. Like you really didn't do a lot. You were just, so against Rosie, you were like, well, I just, I just didn't let her play that game. I just pushed through every single time. Like just, just make her miss kind of thing. Yeah. So the, I remember the first round of that game against Rosie. I think I got like, I think I got a five spot on her right away. And I started, I think I made like my first 12 or something. I was up eight, nine, nothing. Then she started putting the blocker kind of, probably like a level one or two. Like it wasn't crazy low, but every time she would put a blocker there, I just push through it. She'd try again. I'd push through it. Then she would just put her, she started just putting hers in the hole again. Cause she knew like, Oh, I'm just going to push through it. I'm not going to get baited into throwing a stupid roll or airmail or whatever. So right. that definitely, that strategy in my mind of just, I'm going to play my game of down the middle sliding. I was throwing Viper C's at that qualifier. So just sticking to yeah, what I was ones. most comfortable with. Oh yeah, those exact ones. Yeah, yeah, those things are money. Yeah, the uh, I mean, and do you think that was kind of your? Did you have a game plan going in? Like, I'm just not going to do anything dumb. I'm just going to stay up the middle. Like of all your games, were you just like, just whatever, give up my two, move on if I miss, or like, like what was your? Did you try to block at all, or were you just kind of all day like I'm just no. going to make bags? No, I'm just only thing two things I told myself was down the middle and stay confident because I knew in order to stick with any of those people, I have to stay confident and just, I have to get through the bag every time. I can't be blocking myself because then I know when I'm blocking myself, obviously it makes more work for me in that round. Whereas right. I always tell myself, make the game as easy as possible for yourself. Cause sure. a lot of people succeed with muddying the board up, making air mills or roll shots, but 
my mind just works best when I'm just middle, 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 middle every single time. Well, so and, and and later on we'll we'll talk about how that that then your pro partner pick. You guys seem to make a pretty solid team then. Uh, but well, what when did you know you was it the Rosie Streaker game or when did you know that you really were like oh shit I got a chance to do this like like this is like a real possibility like was it after Rosie or was it kind of like when when do you think you started the thoughts started to creep it in your head? Yeah, so I went. I went four and zero in that first wave, and I was just kind of like loose, like yeah, I expected to be here at the end of the day. It just is what it is. Just keep throwing well. I just kept telling myself like, don't think of anything else. Just next game, whatever. Just on your throw. And then I play Rosie, and I win that game. Obviously, I was seven and zero after I beat her. So if I win one more game, it starts. I know it started creeping in my mind a little bit. I'm like, oh, this could actually happen, but I. I kept pushing those possibilities and questions of what I'm going to do and right. all the, all those questions. Cause I knew if I started thinking about that for even a little bit, I would just, I would lose focus or I would just not throw as well as I was that day. So, and I finished that last game I played against his name is Derek Williams. He's an ACO pro as well. I think he was ranked like 10 or 11 last year. I beat him like 21, 19. It was way down to the end. And mm-hmm. that was definitely that's probably the most like memorable like shot or round I had that final round of that eighth game. Just, just how confident I was. So I'll, yeah, I'll talk us through, talk us was, through the round. Yeah. So it was, so it's 1919, right? Yeah. 1919. <laughs> going for your eight. No, for the pro status is 1919. Yeah. And this dumbass shoots an air. <laughs> so Derek Williams, he lays a block kind of just, probably like a level four or five. I didn't have, I couldn't slide around it. Yeah. The Blake killer. It was just (laughs) like right in my way. Everyone knows I hate that bag, but he just put it right there. And I knew I couldn't, I didn't throw any rolls or cuts really for a while. So I was like, all right, let's just believe in my airmail. And I shot an airmail. He made an airmail. I shot an airmail. He made an airmail. I shot my third airmail. I was up nine, seven. And then he, missed his last bag nine seven so i didn't have to throw my last bag i just dropped the bag shook his hand and yeah just celebrating with yeah. minnesota people that so, were with so you me. make pro awesome. by banging in three airmails with all the pressure on yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah just i don't know what i would yeah just stepping back looking at that i'm like that's so uncharacteristic of me to just and the whole day yeah. like i mean how many yeah. airmails do you think you shot the whole day up to that point I definitely shot more airmails than I usually do just because like, like I said, I used to throw rolls and cuts a lot, but I just, I was just staying confident and aggressive that game. I mean, when I played Rosie Streaker, I know, I think the score was 1916 at the time we both had three bags and her fourth bag was like kind of halfway in. And I was like, well, I got backside open. I might as well just shoot it. Even though I knew if I left it short or bounced off, it'd be a tie game. And I hit it backside lefters there and, I won. Oh, you so won like, that game with the backside airmail yeah. too? Oh, geez. Yeah. And uh, well, I was like, well, I'm, I'm here because I've been aggressive and confident. So I can't, if right. I change it now and start playing conservative, I'm going to regret it. So I got to go out shooting. Hey, when you're hot, you're hot, you know? I mean, yeah. But I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, it is crazy. I mean, they were leading up or, you know, the ACL and a lot of people were talking about how grueling this event was going to be and how it was going to be one of the hardest ways to make it in. And I mean, it's, it seems like, I mean, you had to you had to be on your A game. Plus, I mean, do you, how do you feel like your draw went? I mean, you beat some obviously good names, but like, do you feel like you had some games in there to kind of like your early games to kind of set the rhythm that weren't like the hardest games ever? You know, like because I feel like some people might have got. I saw some people that went two and two in the first round didn't even make it in. They just got rough matchup after rough matchup to start, and then you know. Oh yeah, I think I think my first two were definitely kind of like pace setters because I know the first game I had. It was kind of close. I was up like 12-6 or something or 12-8. And then the guy I was playing, he went to go pick up the bags. And I still had a bag left. And I was trying to yell his oh, name yeah, like, yeah. hey, I got a bag left. And he had his AirPods at full volume or something. He never heard me. Everyone was trying to yell him down. He picked up the bags. I got like like six or eight points or something. The game was over. So, I mean, that's obviously a gift. But, right. I mean, after the first two games, I played, I played Mike Harvey. Then I played... Darian Quarles or Darius Quarles, he was sponsored by Gladiator. He was a PDC guy or a pro. I don't know. I won that game. Then I, I played Ryan Bishop in the final round. He's a PDC guy. Then I played Rosie. So, I mean, 
I played two pros, two PDC people. I mean, I know the draw could have been tougher, obviously, but I mean, I still feel like I had to earn my way through those games because, oh, yeah. I mean, Rosie and Mike are ESPN caliber players. So. Right. And I think that event, no matter what, you're going to have to earn your way. I don't think there's any easy walks. When you cut from 800 to 32, there's not an easy walk in there. And, I mean, if you see some of the names that didn't make it through the qualifier or even some of the names that had to play the qualifier, you're looking at Cameron Belvern, Sam Sam Finley, like Rosie Streaker, uh, Brennan Valdiva. I mean, they're they're all playing the qualifier because, like, that's just how tough it is to stay in the pro and, you know, they're trying to get in. I think a lot of them got in on application. But still, like, the caliber of players playing were, like, people that literally just got done playing the pro singles world championship and then the next day they're playing pro qualifier so yeah I'm surprised to see fam sam finley and those kind of people out there but like i said that sunday just in terms of like emotions and stuff for people like if they win a close game or something like they're jumping up and down or really fist bumping i know when i played one of my games in the final four i had one of like the guys like fan groups or whatever he had like yeah. five or ten people they were like talking trash to me on the side and they were like this kid's nervous who the heck is this kid like he he doesn't know what he's doing like he's nervous and i ended up winning the game but i mean there's just there's so many like different levels of adversity like from a mental standpoint it's not so much like the names you play or just because i mean we know everyone can put four bags in the hole like right at times but it's just getting over the mental hump of oh i'm playing this person or there's a certain level of pressure if i win this game i'm a pro or something right i knew it was all mental and that day i just had my mental game clicking that was the difference and i feel like sometimes funny enough like when i'm at a tournament too like when when i played in that acl open when one it was like i was really tired and kind of just done with the weekend and i ended up playing the best of play because i think you just like stop thinking and you just play you're just like all right whatever and then you're able to do what you know how to do and, and for your fact you're like well if i lose i lose like and I, it's the last day you're like i'm kind of tired anyway i'm just here to play and then you probably just you just play loose you know just do what you gotta do 100 oh, and i mean people knew around me at worlds i didn't play well the whole week or weekend like i did good in the big blind draw i got we got like second in our bracket me and david Searles from uh georgia i think i don't know but in doubles Lexi can attest to it. I sucked in doubles. I was, <laughs> I did, I was just mentally out of it that day. I just could not get it going and advanced singles. I think I got like fifth or seventh in my bracket. I did okay, but yeah, just all click. It was all mental. I know just cause that Friday, Saturday, just cause ACL worlds was the week before ACL worlds. Right. So I was going on two, two and a half weeks of just nonstop traveling, throwing, driving, flying, all that stuff. So right. I was just, trying to get mentally locked in that last day. I was thankful enough to get it going. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit, uh, you know, cause uh, about the ACL versus the ACL and we're not, you know, no, no bashing or anything, just, just kind of the different, what do you find as the differences? Granted, you haven't played any pro events yet in the ACL and the ACL not really either, but just from a status perspective, what do you think is the differences between being an ACL, like the pro statuses, ACL and ACO? Like, do you think there's some kind of tier to it? Do you think it's just like, what do you think is the big differences between the two um, top of the food chains and those, you know? So obviously in the cornhole world, I think it's, I don't think it's controversial to say at all that being an ACL pro has more clout to it or more respect than being an ACO pro, just because people know how many more, how deep the talent level is in the ACL. I mean, Obviously, ACO, it's it's very tough to become a pro and like the top level guys in ACO, like Caleb, Austin Cameron, all all the top guys are solid shooters. And I mean, a lot of ACL pros came from the ACO. Like you saw Tanner Halbernese, that was their rookie season. They finished like top five in doubles or something like that. Right. I mean, Matt Guy obviously played ACO for how many years? Yeah, Jamie Graham, Ryan Windsor. Jamie Graham. I mean, you can name 90% of that profit, especially like the veterans, and you know right. that they came from there. Like people like Adam Hissner, Damon Dennis, all those guys, they played ACO. They were at the top of that league too. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, the difference between those two, like the separation kind of started with the TV contracts, in my right. opinion, just because everyone thinks of Cornell, like the casual player, or whatever. They're like, oh, I saw that Cornell on TV. Is that the ACL on TV? Like, no not many casual cornhole, like just backyard players. They don't know what the ACO is, whereas the ACL, they, they have seen those guys on TV. So I think that's a big difference in kind of the difference in status between the two. Right. Um, So what, 
kind of lended you into picking ACL because I mean, for you in particular, your dad was your doubles partner for ACO. So I knew, I, I knew when you won the thing, you know, I texted you like, obviously the minute after you won, I knew you wouldn't have an answer, but I'm, I was sitting here like, all right, dude, I mean, like, it's not, and I know your dad would have been like, do whatever is best for you. But I mean, was it hard for you to be like, you know, I already had, you already had a bag sponsor. You were already a pro. You are, you were with your dad, you know, more ACO, you got the high, you got all these people that do it. And then you got ACL, right. Which is probably a better opportunity per se, in terms of, you know, exposure and probably harder to get into if you turned it down, that kind of thing. So what kind of went into that decision and why did you end up leaning ACL? And there was a lot of factors, obviously, that went into it. One was I've played with my dad as a main partner for how many years now? And I knew that if I switched to the ACL, that that wouldn't be possible anymore. And I mean, I called him literally like a minute or two after I qualified to be an ACL pro. And he said, I want you to go for this because, I mean, he wants to support me and see how high I can get. And obviously that makes such a difference in my decision. Second one was how am I going to cover the cost? Because obviously ACL, there's a lot more to be earned, but right. that's, I mean, you spend more, you make more. So right. I was worrying about like, what's my plan going to be? How am I going to find new sponsors? How am I going to find a new bag company to throw with? Who's going to be my partner? So, and the third thing was, like I just mentioned, like, who am I going to throw with? Because obviously I don't have, that was my second ACL event ever was ACL Worlds. I played in one regional ever before that. So I had, otherwise in a few Wisconsin people, I had no connections. I was kind of throwing myself into an unknown territory. And I kind of still am, honestly, but right. I have some guidance now. So, I mean, to answer the question, like the main reason I switched was just because I know at the end of like, kind of the end game of what I want to accomplish in Cornell. I knew I always wanted to go to ACL just because I knew there was more opportunities in that, like status wise, I could make an ESPN. I can make a lot more money doing it if I keep getting better and better and someday reach an even higher level in my game. So I knew that to reach what I wanted to in this game, the ACL would be able to provide that better than the ACL in my opinion. Sure. Makes sense. Um, and, and I guess that kind of lends to the opportunities that you're seeing is like you're seeing more of a financial opportunity if you continue to grow through the ACL versus the ACL, just in the future yeah. tense. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go into a little bit of, uh, well, I, I mean, and this kind of, you know, not that you've already been been playing pro events, but it's kind of like now that you are an ACL L pro and even leading up to it, you know, how much are you traveling to play? Like someone who just plays all the time, like someone who's going to make a pro status or someone who is a pro. Like, I mean, how much are you playing in events? Are you playing week events and weekend events? Like how often are you playing right now? Like in terms of like practicing or in terms of like what tournaments am I making? Yeah. Like events and stuff. Like how often are you traveling to play? So I'm trying like this first part of the season, kind of before the nationals and stuff start, I'm trying to make as many, regional events and ACL events as I can just to one, just play in more regionals, get more points, obviously for open standings, if I have to qualify that way. And two, just to make more connections and the, just make a bigger name for myself. Like I played in a regional October 1st, the day the season started. So I'm just trying to play in as much ACL stuff as I can also because it's the best competition I'm going to get to. I get to play singles and doubles and multiple blind draws and stuff. So for tournaments, I'm just trying to do as much ACL stuff as I possibly can right now. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is the biggest thing that people don't understand about being a pro? And this could be ACL or ACL, just being a pro player. Like, what do you think goes into it that people maybe don't see or don't think about? Something like I've picked up on kind of from my local group when I've, when we've talked about the ACL in the past, it's like, Oh, it's so expensive to like, cause obviously those of you who don't know, like you got to pay a thousand dollars upfront, like the pro fee or whatever for all the, the covers, all the, like the registration and stuff for the year for pro events. You got the thousand dollars and plus you still got to travel to those four pro nationals. Like there's kind of a stigma on the ACL that like, it just costs a lot more and there's a lot more to it. And there's a lot more pressure and stress, I guess. And, just kind of talking to I've been trying to talk to a lot of people and learn more about it. They say like, yeah, it costs a little more, but there's so much more opportunity to get sponsors and they're going to help you out with that. And 
the community is obviously going to be really nice and helpful too. It's just, you got to, like I've been learning, you got to learn what you're getting into, I guess. Right. That that would be one thing I would say for that. And uh, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that say kind of the worst part of the year is that getting the sponsors and getting your financial stuff locked up to make sure you don't have to worry about it. You know, and once that's in, then it's, you know, then it's just about managing what am I going to go to in your time and stuff. And lucky enough for you, you know, you're, you don't, you know, you're not married. You don't have kids. You don't have a house. You're in college and you, you have the time to where you can you just leave if you need to leave or, you know, take classes ahead of time, get your work ahead of time where, where, you know, someone who maybe has a full-time job, it's a little bit tougher to get away for the amount of weekends that you have to get away for. So I definitely think it's a good time for you to do it. hundred percent. Like this last month or two, like you said, that kind of transitional period, that off season period where people are trying to find new sponsors and figuring out what they're going to do for the upcoming season. Like it's been stressful for me too, obviously, because I'm, I'm a relatively, I'm a no name in the ACL basically just because I haven't played much in it at all. So, I mean, I'm, I've been working as much as I can to get sponsors behind me and kind of making connections with some like bigger companies, I guess. And thankfully I've been able to do that with, obviously, I don't know if I can just say it straight out. I'm throwing ultra Cornell this year. I'm sponsored team ultra and out of Stillwater, Minnesota, Element Exteriors is sponsoring me this year. Also John Blanco over there. So those two have really given me a good foundation to really attack the season. So I don't have to stress so much about that side of the game. Right. Um, What do you think? Is there any specific type of players that you will play well or play poorly against? Like, do you think someone who does a specific play style or maybe a speed of play, like, is there anything that you really enjoy to play against and something that you're working to get better? Maybe doesn't mess with you as much. Well, you know, if I you put that level seven block out in front of me, I'm done. I'm not. I'm not purposeful. Level seven's pretty tough. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, in terms of like play styles, I would play worse against. Um, I'd say probably like obviously the role game is tough to play against just because you've got to be smart with it. Because like a good example, like around the Minnesota area, is like playing Lexi Huge back because she's. She likes to block and roll a bunch and she, I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but she's going to bait you in the trying to like shoot that air mail or trying to keep with her in that roll shot. And you have to stay with your game as much as possible. And I've, I've been doing better with it. The more and more I've traveled and played against those type of players to deal with that kind of block and roll and cut around game. But I'd say that's still what I'm working on playing against the most is that blocking and rolling game. Yeah. Um, do you, what do you think is the biggest difference between like a good advanced player that you play against and maybe a pro player? Like, do you think it's just consistency? Do you think it's mental game? Like, what do you, where do you think do you make that leap? Cause I think you've gone from an advanced player to now a pro. And I definitely think you've gotten a lot better in the last year. I mean, your PPR has got a lot better, your consistency. Where do you think that jump happened? Like, what do you think changed? There's a lot of factors to it. Like you said, consistency obviously is going to be an obvious one that just comes with practicing a bunch more and that's another thing too is putting in the time to get your mechanics down and kind of find what's comfortable for you like within the past year I've changed my throw a bunch of times I still do it just to kind of find what's comfortable comfortable for me at the time so consistency being comfortable and just confidence too a lot of people lack confidence in their game because those those three reasons kind of tie in together for me because if you're not confident it's probably because you're not comfortable and you're not practicing enough and if you're not comfortable and you're not confident you're not going to be consistent so right those are three kind of main areas for my game that when all three are clicking confidence consistency and just being comfortable and kind of loose those when those three click i can be i know i can stick with just about anybody but They've got to be clicking at the same time. I don't know why you haven't made a three C's YouTube video on North on the North of Wisconsin. I mean, hey, thanks Blake's three C's. They're, they're, <laughs> thanks for the promotion. Yeah. Go subscribe to there Northern go. Wisconsin. Yeah, Northern Wisconsin Cornell. Check it out. Your dad's done a great job with that as well, and uh, oh, yeah. the podcast and stuff. So you guys, have, that's been some cool content you guys have been putting out. But what, what do you see for a normal player? Maybe you know when we're playing at events or even at tournaments, like 
where is the most common mistake that you're seeing people do? Do you think it's getting overly aggressive when they don't have to? Do you think it's going too quickly? Mental lapses? Like like when we're playing, let's say, a North Metro tournament, even like Clash, one of these other tournaments, and you see someone who's a good player just have a bad day or bad game, what do you think is the things that they're mis- making mistakes for? and wh- Or what things do you think people can get better of simple mistakes that maybe they're doing they don't realize? I think a lot of people, including myself at times, like, they have to find the right balance of being patient and aggressive in the game, being willing to play that chess match kind of on the board. Like if there's, I mean, it's all situational and it just comes with experiencing different types of bags and experimenting. Like, should I step out here? Should I airmail here? Should I cover here? Like slippery side or stick side? Like it just, just, a lot of experience comes down to like, cause a lot of players, like we play at blind draws and stuff. They've only been playing for like, even you've only been playing for a year and you're really smart with the games because you've been playing so much this past like year or two. So it's just comes down to me with being able to play that chess match and ha- be smart with it. Cause a lot of people can throw, like they have a relatively flat bag, like obviously right. top pros, like Matt guy, he doesn't have a perfectly flat bag. That's not like the, be all end all when you're playing good. But I think just that game plan and playing smart and knowing what you're best at in your game is most important to kind of making that jump from being a kind of an intermediate competitive player and jumping up to a more advanced level, I think. And and kind of going off that a little bit, um actually I think I just completely lost the question. Train of thought I had. I was I was too busy listening <laughs> to you. Uh, yeah. Entranced in my words. Yeah, yeah. Your words are just too good. I, oh no, this is what I was gonna say. So kind of going off that, I think that I've had the benefit because of the reviewing to try so many different bags that when I get in the tournament and my bag starts sticking at all or my conditions feel weird, I'll just change bags, right? Do you feel that a lot of players, and granted, if you're a person that throws fast side game changer all the time, like you're not, you don't need to change bags because it's always fast and that's just what you do. But people that throw, you know, surefire, these slower bags, mid speed bags, do you think that people don't adjust enough? Like, because I find personally that I see some people that I'm like, yo, the bag's too sticky. And then they're like, this is all I throw. And I'm like, if you just threw a faster bag, your life would be so much easier right now because right. conditions changes and, and coming from other sports where you transition, it's amazing to me that I see some players that just like, I only throw one bag all the time where you might benefit from transitioning. Oh yeah. You have to be able to adapt to conditions and not just throw the same one bag the entire time. Unless obviously like if you're throwing fast side game changers and it's just right. going to do it at once. But I mean, that's kind of, that's a main reason why I still do a lot of like, blind draws and kind of like switch holios and stuff just i can play with a lot of different people and i can play with different bags too because just having different feels in your hand and experimenting with a lot kind of you can kind of shape your game around that like i've learned like the past couple years i've thrown pretty much every a lot obviously not as many as you but i've thrown a lot of bags and different bags and i know that viper seas and ultra bags they they just fit my hand the best and i know how they play on the board the best so i mean you obviously know how your bags your sub-zeros play really well because you're making them and you know the materials and stuff so that's just another thing of having that experience and having the knowledge of what bags you're throwing and what you're coming how you break them in and stuff so that's a really important part too is being able to adapt and not just stick to the same thing every time just right. life in general i guess and, and do you feel like um i i don't know if you do this i i, I warm up with carpet even if i'm going to throw fast bags just because it forces me to be flatter in my warm-up and stuff do you still throw carpet at all to, to make sure that you getting a consistent release or you kind of just moved on not really something i do sometimes when i'm struggling with either like if my bag's not as flat as I want, like I'm going to, I'll start off my practice routine, just shooting airmails, just make sure I'm really extending out to start out. Cause I feel like it's easier to track back a little bit. It's easier to throw a little lighter than it is to throw a lot farther. So I feel like getting that warm up to start out and really extending out, opening up. I feel like that's easiest for me. And, and, and you have a pretty solid airmail. I tell people, and I, and I shoot a lot of airmails and people ask me all the time, like, man, how do you, how do you get good at airmails? And it's like, I tell people all the time, you just shoot a lot of them. Like you go out and practice, like I'll go practice, throw a hundred airmails. It's just like, how many am I going to make? You know, where it's just, I don't feel like people 
put in that time of practice where it's like, you don't just slide in. Everyone can slide in. Go throw a hundred cuts in a row, a hundred pushes in a row, you know, that kind of thing. Do you do that? Yeah. And you're, com- you're, yeah. And you're confident with your airmail too, because you've thrown some, you know, like, you know, right. like, oh, I'm just going to bang this airmail in here. Cause you know, you can make it a lot of people right. shooting the airmail. Like they're going to have thoughts in the back of their head. Like, Oh, if I miss off the back of the board, this could be exactly. bad. I'm going to get points here. If, like you just got to think, that comes it all comes back to experience. Like if you see a block in there, you just gotta be like, airmail, okay, I'm gonna shoot it. That's what I did at the pro qualifier in that last game. Like I just saw like, okay, airmail, I'm gonna shoot it. Like I'm not second guessing yourself is just it's gonna hold you back. I right. Think. It's it's one of those things that it's like you know you have to do it statistically, so you do it. It's just like it's a better yeah. like from a chess perspective, you're like, this is the best move, you just do it, right? Where have you heard of Anthony Aon talk about the 33% rule? Yep. Yeah, yep. where, where if your airmail is at least 33% and the person that's going first blocks their last bag, you're supposed to shoot it because on the long run of a game, you'll score more points than you'll miss. Yeah, and that just comes with like playing more and shooting a lot of airmails right. and doing it in practice sometimes because even just like shooting 100 airmails and like practice and just kind of keeping track from day to day, see if you're improving. And right. once you're consistently at that 33% mark, you're, you should be confident to shoot the shot. Right. And another thing about being like confident with the experience. Like there's a lot of high players, high level players, even around this Minnesota area too, that if they're playing like doubles or a blind draw, like let's say I'm asking or not, I'm asking. Cause that sounds too like, let's say Matt guys at a, at a tournament, he's partnered up with me or something. Matt guy's not going to ask me like, should I airmail or should right. I do this and that? Like he's, he's better than I am. Like he should right. know what to do. Like, and that's what a lot of players, a lot of advanced players like have that confidence. Like I know what I'm going to do here and I got to shoot it. Like, obviously don't be like an ignorant jerk and be like, I'm never going to listen to my teammate. Right. But, like you got to be confident in your experience and know what's right for your shot. Right. I guess. So we'll go into a little bit about your throwing style because it has changed at least since I've known you at least two times. It's- yeah, that's more than that. Um, it's more than but that. we'll start from your old style, which was like a bowling 12 step wind up, <laughs> super slow. <mind. laughs> but it was, it was, everyone was kind of like, but you're so many variables. You got like three steps, you got the slow backswing. And that's what just... everyone back home did. That's what Bob <laughs> Heil and Maggie Geiger did. That's kind of what I experienced coming up in the game. Like, oh, Bob, those two are the most successful in my area, ACO pros, and they've won bunch of majors and Maggie's won world titles. So I'm like, I'm going to try that out and see how it works. And I did it for, I don't know how long I stuck with it, probably like four or five months. And at the beginning, I was having a lot of success with it. But I mean, I know no matter what I do in my throw, if I'm one step, two step, right foot forward, left foot forward. I mean, it's all comes down to mental and just right. the You're same front mechanics. board, no matter which one you use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna come no matter what. So hey, I just kind of you gotten better at the front board. The amount of times that you would just randomly front board and you just look at the bag, like, how I, did what does that <laughs> doesn't even make sense? It's because I lacked so I didn't have any confidence in my throw because yeah. I was like, I don't know what, like I'm just kind of guessing. <laughs> so now, now you're now you're a set the bags on the board kind of guy. Pick up one at a time. Focus and is the, for you is the bag on the board just focus like keeping you on the one bag at a time, slowing yourself down. Like why why did you start with the bags on the board now? Yeah, I'm just doing it to slow myself down. Like even if I if I miss a bag, like a little left or a little right, I have stepping away and just being able to pick up that bag. It it mentally resets me every single time because it's it's easier to forget something once you step away from it and just be like, okay, one bad bag, whatever next one. Whereas for me, if I have all four bags in my hand, I throw a bad one, I'm like, God, I suck. And then, <laughs> yeah, then yeah. I'm just the bag's in my hand already. So I just gotta be like well, I'm not just going to stand here for five seconds and just stare right. at it and then throw it. I have an excuse to just step away, grab a bag, come back, reset, and then throw it. So it gives me a lot better rhythm to doing that because I do the same. Like I throw, I take like like one or two steps. I don't even know. It's just kind of like I take two steps back, have the bag in my hand, I take my two step forward, and then I shoot. It's just right. the same thing every time. And everyone's rhythm is different, but that's what clicks for me right now. And I find you do something similar to I that I do, which is uh like, do you find because I know you throw a bad bag, like you get visibly upset, kind of hit your leg, like what the heck, like how do I do that? But then you grab a bag and you restart. <laughs> like at least for me, yeah. when I say like I'll kind of have an outburst, like God, you suck. 
right? Where it's like, I don't actually like for me, I feel like saying that gets it out of my head where I can then restart. Yeah. Like, do you feel like having that quick little things just like that was a terrible shot? Okay, next bag. Rather than like if you hold yeah. it in and then you're thinking about it, like, do you do you feel like you do that? I more say it out loud, like, I mean, I'm talking to myself, obviously, but it's just kind of more like a joking thing, like right. nice bag. I oh yeah, to myself. I'm just like, oh, great bag, good one. Yeah. It, like joking to myself about it, just kind of like I can step away and just kind of laugh at it, like, yeah, I know it's a bad bag, whatever. Just right. step away and I'm gonna shoot the next one. So. Yeah, everyone has their own ways of dealing with dealing with a bad shot. Like, even like if you see Matt guy on TV, like if he throws a bad bag, he's like, "What?" Like he's like bewildered. Like, right. why did that happen? It's like, like, how did I miss everyone's the different? Of the board? <laughs> or if you're like sense. a quiet player, like Josh Allen or something, you're just a robot all the time, and it just doesn't right. like you don't show anything. So everyone's different, but as long as it's something controlled and you know that you'll be fine with, I mean, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Right. So you you said you were playing with Ultra, which is awesome that you got you got to get that locked in. And then you're in so your partner for ACL Pro, you're playing with Steve Schroeder, who it's his second yep. year in the ACL. Uh he's had he's made a really good splash in the seniors division and and has played really well as a doubles team going into last year. So and he's a local in Wisconsin as well. I know you're which is nice you're able to play regionals with him. And he was with Ultra last year. How did kind of the uh partnership with Steve come about? Was was it just kind of like a yeah, we're playing together or like you guys talk? Like how did how did it go? So when I came back from ACL Worlds, I think it was like a day or two after I flew back. My dad and I were kind of just talking about stuff. We were like, we should call Steve, like to just kind of ask questions about the ACL and kind of get his opinion on stuff. We had no idea what his plans were. So we called him, just kind of asked him general questions about like costs and what he his experience was like and that the end of the call, I I just kind of asked him, like, out of nowhere, like, so, like, what are your plans for next year? Just making conversation. He was like, to be honest, I was hoping at the end of this call, you'd be asking me to be your partner because I really want to throw with you. In my mind, I was like, this is best case scenario. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of in my mind when I made the decision, like, because that's, like, in the back of my mind, that's who the number one I kind of want to throw with just because I've known him forever. He's He has a very similar personality and approach to the game as I do, even though he's like 60, that means I have like an old man personality, but <laughs> I'm all right with that. <laughs> no, I, I love him. And I'm so excited to throw with him this year. I mean, last year, Steve, his stats, I'm pretty sure he was top 10 in the entire ACL or PPR when playing doubles. It was like a 9.9 or something. Like he was just so good in doubles last year. And I know if I keep doing what I'm doing right now, we're going to make some serious noise this year. Well, and I mean, a lot of people, especially going into their rookie year, like if you don't have someone that you've played with before, it's very difficult. I mean, you'll get so everyone needs a partner, The you know, there's an even number. So you're going to end up with a partner. But for you to be able to come in and get a partner who I would say is very elite of a partner and with experience that can hold their own. And, and I mean, anyone who hasn't met Steve, if you see Steve on a live stream or just playing, he looks like this scary dude. He's the nicest dude ever, <laughs> but like, he's oh, yeah. kind of a, I don't know if it's because he's a little bit he's older. Intimidating. Well, I don't know if it's because he's a little bit older. It, he looks like he just like doesn't give a crap and he just throws bags. Like he's just even so, when you go up he's to, so chill. Like even when you go up to play with him, I've told this to my dad forever. He has, I think he has the biggest hands in Cornell. Oh, his dude. hands are just it's crazy. His hands are huge. You shake your hand and hand. you're like, dude, now I can't throw. <laughs> like, I know. I shake his hand and I'm just like, well, I'm inferior to you. Like, <laughs> you are just, yeah. you are going to dominate me this game. But no, I mean, he's taking a risk and playing with me. And I, I know that I'm a rookie and I'm just kind of finding my rhythm and just building up where he's already, he achieved it this year and he's already like, he, was top 50 in doubles this year with his partner from last year. I mean, he had, he made an ESPN three for world senior doubles. So, I mean, he's definitely taken a risk us partnering together, but I know it's going to be the best decision for both of us. And I'm so excited for it. So in, to you personally, you know, the, playing in different events and blah, what to you do you think makes a good doubles partner for you? Like what, what, what do you need in a doubles partner? Like, do you, do you need someone to pick you up? Do you need some, like, what do you think is that relationship that you're looking for out of a doubles partner? I think if my doubles partner puts four bags in the hole every single time, I'm going to like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that's not re- No one's ever going to make them every time. So, I mean, the partner on the other end, I feel like just has to be able to keep a cool level head. Like, 
just be able to stay loose, but at the same time, like be willing to help me out. Like if I have a question on the board or something, like they're going to, they're going to be thinking what I'm thinking, basically. Like right. when I mentioned before, having someone that partnering with Steve, like he has a very similar like play style that I do. And I feel like we like play a similar chess match on the board. We like playing that airmail sneak around game with the Viper Viper sees. So it's not like I'm just like playing with a good partner just because he's good. I mean, right. he, he's really good. He pros the same bag as I do. He has the same game styles. I do We both have similar personalities. So, I mean, it's just a match that's going to be really good this year. I'm like I said, it's just, it, I'm very thankful that he won the partner up this year and I'm so excited for it. Yeah. That's super exciting. So signing with ultra, obviously he was with ultra last year. So, I mean, how did it come about? Did, did he just present like, Hey, I want to stay with you guys and this is who I'm playing with. And they're like, all right, works out. Or, you know, how did that kind of work out? Yeah. Like when him and I started talking, like when it came towards that kind of like free agency period or whatever for bad contracts, he, he told him like, we talked about it and he said that he, he wanted to stay with Ultra really bad because those are his favorite bags in the game. And I said, I threw Viper C's at a pro qualifier. Those are my favorite bags too. So whatever we can get figured out with them, Steve talked to him. We both got an offer and we were both very happy with our offer. So nice. it was, it was about as easy as it could have gotten. And I mean, it just worked out really good. Thankful for Ultra, Mark Pryor, Rich, the whole team. That's, it worked out really good. Well, let's talk a little bit about ultra bags then a little, you know, I can't go through this without a little bit of a bag review, but we'll talk about, obviously <laughs> these are the ones that got you in the pro same exact uh, design and everything, you know, mine, mine are, I, mine are even almost more broken than yours, but oh, they um, are. so I, I call these, uh, it's Viper C. I call them a six, eight. They're like a seven, eight. Once you get these dots wore down, cause this is the Viper slow side. It just has dots. And then the fast side, you're looking at that surefire fast side, but also with dots. So I would say in terms of the wearing down period, having dots on both sides makes them a little bit tougher to wear in. But once they wear in, they play really nice. It's the same exact materials as like an all slide, which is why they play very similar to like an all slide, bigger, bigger template. And uh, they've done a couple drops. Somebody looking at 95 bucks uh, normally. So what about the Viper C kind of works out for you? Like why, why do you like the Viper C? Like what does it let you do? Favorite, favorite thing about the Viper C, it just feel, it's always felt that bag has felt the best in my hand out of anything. And I think that's number like definitely number one for me is just how does it feel in my hand? Cause I used to throw a lot of carpet bags as you know, like BG and stuff, right. but I just, I never felt quite comfortable with it in my hand. Like I obviously I could deal with it, like how it played and stuff, but just how it felt in my hand just didn't fit my style. Right. And Viper C is just, they fit in my hand really nice. They shoot out good. They, they just, they slide perfectly. They butter when I need it to, and I can make them cut if I, if it's a sticky board and I need them to also. So that's the number one thing for me is just how it feels in my hand. It just shoots out really nice. So, Yeah, and I, I really like them. I mean, like, these actually come with me in my travel bag, even with all the bags I have. I think just because they're so broken. And one, a lot of people know how to throw them. And two, they're just a really easy bag to throw. Um, I like I like the template size of them, and they're they're not too floppy. They stay pretty full because they do have that mix fill in them, but they play really, really good. Uh, once they get super broken in like this, I think they play nice and slow, actually. They play like a 5-6. They don't play like yeah. that super fast 7, and the fast side's still fast enough to push through stuff. Which yeah, is, that's, how mine, that's how mine was, too, is mine. The sticky side of mine was getting a little, like, dirtier and worn yeah, down. Oh yeah. I, actually just, I actually just watched them, like, a week or two ago just because I was, like, I want them to get a little faster again. They were just like at this regional last weekend, they were just money all weekend. They were right. playing so good. So yeah, I just fabric really shaved good. mine down actually. Cause they were too, they were so broken and the fabric was falling apart, but they, they play really, really nice. And then we'll talk about probably the hottest ultra bag right now that I know you're really excited to get your hands on. You threw mine for a little bit and they're like cash money. It's, this is more like a bag for you in singles kind of thing. Cause it's kind of a high, a hybrid for you between what you threw before, which they're now we're like the Viper R's, which a lot of people have really liked you. Everyone knows I'm not a carpet guy. These don't play like a carpet bag at all. Uh, they play like a fast bag that basically just ignores board conditions and ignores humidity. So like when, even when these are soup, these start to stick up, these don't stick up. They just slide. They're, they're dumb. Uh, but you know, 95 bucks plus shipping with drops. Uh, I call these like a five, six, nine. It is carpet on the slow side. doesn't really feel like carpet. It's pretty soft uh, and it, it gets very floppy for a carpet bag. I mean, these, these are a very you know, floppy carpet bag. <laughs> yeah. Ears are really floppy. Oh yeah. Man. But 
I mean, but that lends to, you know, they don't roll very well. You can cut them, but they push super easily. They airmail drag stupid. They slide really, really good. I mean, it it's truly plays like a Viper just with the, the different feel on the slow side and just a little bit more consistent on the speed throughout conditions throughout the day. Um, which is, I think why they're becoming so popular. Once people are realizing like, Hey, this isn't a BG carpet. It's not going to jump on you when you throw it. It's no. just going to be kind of a, if you can get used to that soft underside, it's just going to be kind of a consistent speeded bag throughout the day, which I think we're going to see a lot of ultra teams throw this bag this year. Uh, obviously people are going to be throwing the Viper, but I think, uh, I mean, they just signed Tyson Tubby Cobb. They signed, you know, a lot of hybrid players that maybe don't just only throw vipers all the time i wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of viper i know you want to get yourself a set of them this year to throw as a possibility for you to use in singles uh what about the viper at least when you threw mine you've tried some other people's what about the viper do you think uh you enjoy personally um i'd say about the viper like it just plays in my game perfectly like that that push like you said it just it just drags any bag in like it just it melts in it just if you even if you just like touch it a little bit it's just going to be perfect and right i don't know what it is about that r material with ultra like the even the widows to widows and vipers i can just get such a tight rotation with it out mm-hmm. of my hand that's what i love about them too it's just it shoots out of my hand so nice and it's really it's a consistent feel and like i said it just plays in my game i'm either that or a viper c i'm definitely going to use in singles this year and it's going to it just well, plays perfectly. You're not a big psycho guy. You're not going to throw only psycho. Well, I just got a set of those today, actually, at my oh, house. Okay. My dad broke them in. I'm, nice. My dad's breaking them in right now. So I, I love those too. I'm excited. Yeah, to throw the design those. is cool. The Halloween psycho design. I had to pick yep. up a set. I do enjoy throwing. I actually throw Celtics and psychos when boards get super, super sticky. Just because it's again, it's. I like, just haven't. I just haven't thrown psychos that much. So I can't have as much of an opinion because I've been a. Viper, I've I've thrown widows a lot, like just the blind draws and stuff. I've thrown Viper R's, Viper C's, and but I mean I've only thrown psychos a couple times. I want to try them out more this year though. It's basically yeah. throwing Viper C fast side all the time. It's just basically yeah, like, much. all right, the boards are so sticky. I just want to make every bag in the hole. I'm throwing psychos, you know, because I know and I know right. Steve. Steve's a fan of psychos. Like when when the boards would stick up last year when he was throwing, they'd get off the psycho X's or Vipers, whatever they were throwing, Viper C's, and they would switch to psychos when boards got sticky. So I know it's just for him, it's a you know, it's a consistent template, same template. It's just like, all right. I'm sick of hanging on the hole. I'm not going to do that anymore. It's kind of what, what that does. So, so I, 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 but again, I mean, you look at the ultra lineup, the amount of options that you have is probably one of the biggest options in Cornell period. I mean, you got carpet bags, you got fast bags, you got now Viper bees, which are kind of like that slow four speed bag. If you want like a surefire type bag, you got psychos, which is the super fast. end. you got, of course, Vipers, you know, and then you got widows, which widow bees maybe because those are more of the middle speed bag. But it's just like you got like 50 different options you can pick from is what it feels There's like. There's so many options to throw. And I know if I'm if I start if I'm like struggling a little bit with my game or whatever, I can just switch to another bag. Get good feeling like I'm going to love all the bags I play with. And they're going to play like any other elite bag. Like I know if I throw Widow X, Widow R, Viper B, Viper C, Viper R, Psycho, Psycho X, whatever I throw, right. it's just. I'm going to find something for my game that day is going to work for me. So right. it's really nice having that diverse of a option to have. Right. And I guess uh, one last thing, we talked about practice a little bit, but one last tidbit, you know, you're, you're doing tutorials with your dad on the YouTube channel and all the podcasts and stuff. What is, what is, do you think the best piece of practice advice you can give to someone who wants to get better at the game? Like what is one thing that they should be doing in the, all their practice routines or, you know, what, what's kind of the one piece of advice you'd give somebody? We just talked about this in our last video and it's playing at a game like pace and playing at a realistic pace, like just being able to slow yourself down, not just throw like one, two, three, four, walk down, one, two, three, four, walk down. Cause especially if you play for like two hours straight, cause I mean, obviously those tournaments are going to be gauntlets, but when are, when are you going to throw for two hours? You're going to throw for 20 minutes intense. And you're going to sit around for a few minutes. Then you're going to go back and you're going to go sit down. Like you're going to, get cold and you're going to get hot again. So you have to, for me, being able to simulate the feeling of playing in a tournament and then being able to cool down for a few minutes, get back on the board and then find the rhythm again. I feel like creating those tournament-like scenarios are what is one of the reasons why I've been able to bump my game up, especially in singles a little bit. I've been trying to get better at practicing for doubles. It's obviously a little harder 
like if you're not going the blind draws and stuff, that's another reason why I still go to those. But especially for singles, for me, that's helped a bunch. Just being able to play at a game like pace and not just like like not even thinking, just throw, 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 throw for right. two hours. And I think too, I mean, like it's funny. So last night or two nights ago, I'm playing. Uh, me and Eddie Wenker and Hunter and Chico were playing walking doubles. And, uh, you know, walking doubles, obviously, it's like crew cup, but only two of you. Um, and and I realized how much better I threw when I just, like, picked up one bag. And I'm like, all right, my only goal here is to lay a block. All right, my only goal here is to put it in the hole. And then you walk back and you're like, all right, good shot. It's like the amount of bags I made in a row where it's just like, where it's like, but then you go up in their stands, again, bam, bam, bam. Oh, I missed one. Okay, 10. You know, where it's just like, man, when you do that focus, like, this bag's goal is to do this. And then, again, you like you said, it's a good practice thing to say, like, you know, if you throw a bag, you should have to take maybe five seconds in between because you got to wait for your opponent to throw. Like, yep. you don't get to just instantly rhythm another one, you know? like and that's another reason why I set all the bags on the board, too, just because me doing that automatically puts me at that game pace where I have to throw the bag, take a step back. And I put – I don't just put my bags on the board, like, on the very bottom of the board. I put them behind the hole on the back edge, so I'm making sure I step away and reset because my natural pace and practice – naturally just because of that is at a game pace so right. if, if you're out there struggling to slow your game down or you feel like you just can't yeah you just can't slow it down try sending your bags on the back of the board and just taking a step away get back step away get back i feel like that's helped a lot i think that i think that's a really good tip and i don't have this one written down but i just thought of it and so i got to get the hot taken coming from aco and now acl what is your stance on the the step over the line after you release the bag rule I I don't care if they step over the line after they release it or not. I think I think people that put in Facebook comments and YouTube comments like, oh, he's foot fouling or stepping over the line. It's just like it doesn't matter. Like Thank and you. if you think of Hallelujah, it someone else that has logic and reason. <laughs> Woo! It's like, I do it once in a while too. It's it's not giving him an advantage. If you follow through sometimes, you're naturally gonna take a half a step over or if you throw a hard push or a backside yeah. airmail a lot of the time you'll follow through i it blows my mind when people are like they'll comment on my videos you for follow every bag and i was like pause my video and send me the image because i promise the bag is gone that. it's like just why does it matter they're like if it's I, if it's if you can't step over why don't you start from the back of the board i was like i'm not advantaging myself this doesn't make any sense yeah, I don't get the crowd that's kind of like anti, anti. There's a people get a lot of over. likes on those comments too. People that are like, oh, the, I know. There's the a lot yellers. of people that are passionate about it, but I don't know. The ACO I mean, obviously has that rule, which I think they yeah. need to get rid of because you watch one of your top players like Austin Cameron. He's like balancing with one foot in the air every throw because he can't follow through. Oh, if you watch, if you watch any live stream that I've been on, like I've I do that so much. Like yeah. I had to train myself sometimes, like. Like in practice, like a day or two before an ACO major, I made sure mentally that I'm not stepping over the line. And occasionally I did it once in a while. Thankfully, I never got called out for it. But I mean, I remember last year at the ACO Pro Series shootout, it was, I think, Tanner Halbert and Caleb Hurt. I think we're in the final. Tanner Halbert, he foot fouled against the ACO lines and he got a bag like forfeited and he was really upset about it and rightfully so yeah like, it I was mean, just it was it was like his fourth bag and he started walking down after he released it and he got called out for a football oh. like, that's so stupid <laughs> it's so, so dumb, dumb. I, I just here. i just think i just think it's not natural for you not to follow through and in my opinion if you're a person that's a whistleblower like likes to bitch about people stepping over the line i think or if you're the guy that's like upset your opponent's doing it like like i remember like and i know bob said this jokingly but i think some people say this realistically when i was playing against bob up in wisconsin he's like i stepped over the line once and he's like come on aren't we playing aco rules what is that crap <laughs> like i know he's just joking <laughs> but some people actually like feel that way they see their opponent they think that i'm like if you're worried about that there's so many things that you probably need to get better at because if yeah, you're worried about like what it, your opponent's doing like you should just be winning like you should worry about your own game yeah that's just it's so weird i don't get the hate against it like it's not gonna I don't know. I don't understand. All right, you heard it here, I'm, folks. I'm ACL Pro, Pro thinks Pro it's stupid. Eddie. Yeah, ACL Pro, I'm Pro thinks Eddie's it's dumb. Corner reviews. Let's go. ACL Pro <laughs> thinks it's a dumb rule. Uh, that's one for me, you zero for the rest for of it. you. Yeah, this you is start a dumb rule. T-shirts for that. <laughs> just call. It, yeah, like I'm I don't Pro follow dumb forward. rules. Yeah, just me <laughs> falling forward. Yeah, <laughs> could be the new logo for. Yeah, the that's the merch. That's the merch. It's just I don't follow dumb rules. That'd be perfect. 
All right. Well, Blake, you know, what is this season? What does it look like now coming up? Is it just regionals for now? When's the first major? You know, it obviously kicks in a big swing come February next year, like early on next year. But kind of what does the rest of your year look like? You just travel and trying to do regionals right now? Yeah. So I know the first open that me and Steve are going to go to is the East Moline, Illinois one. That's October 28th or the 30th. And we're just doing a bunch of regionals. They haven't really announced like their full open schedule. They haven't really announced locations yet. So, I mean, me and Steve are going to try to make as much as we possibly can for regionals conferences and uh, opens. And obviously we're going to make all the four nationals and worlds. And he said he wants to make more pro shootouts this year too. So I told him whatever he wants to go to, um, sign me up for it because I want to do as much as I can this year to make a name for both myself and him and I as a doubles team. Well, and, and enjoy the experience. I mean, let's say you only get oh, one yeah. year out of this, like you get to travel and play bags. I mean, like, you know, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah, definitely. definitely, definitely do as much it, as I can, you know, so I'm taking advantage of what I got while I still have it. Well, congrats on uh, qualifying. Super, super cool. As, as a friend of yours as well, I can't wait to kick your butt and just say, is that what it takes to be an ACL pro every time I beat I've you? I've already heard it. I know. I know. I'm, it. I'm stoked. It's like, that's what I'm looking forward to the most over the next year is I just get to make fun yeah. of you every time you lose. Uh, but either way, I hope, I wish you the best of luck. I'm glad you got a partner that, uh, that, you know, has the experience and, you know, is good to come off. I think you guys are going to definitely surprise some people and people are going to be like, who the heck is this guy? I, I totally see that happening. And just the way your game has increased is it's only going to keep going up. So I, uh, I hope you have a great, great season, man. I, hope, I can't wait to see you on ESPN. Thanks, man. Appreciate all the love. Thanks for having me on this week. <laughs> Appreciate it. Oh yeah. Well, everybody else, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this interview with ACL pro Blake Karnick out of Wisconsin. Uh, thanks, you guys, if you've made it all the way to the end of this podcast. We really appreciate the constant support and listening. I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your day and rest of your week, and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one. Thanks, guys.